Welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. My name is Jody Lima, and on this twice-monthly podcast, hosted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Alice Faye Duncan. Uh, Alice is author of the picture books Evicted, The Struggle for the Right to Vote, and Opal Lee and What It Means to be Free, The True Story of the Grandmother of Juneteenth. And we're going to be talking about all those books, as well as her favorite book, Honey, I Love, and Other Love Poems, written by Eloise Greenfield. But before we get to all that, uh, once again, I want to let you know that if you're interested in participating in the Dream Gardens podcast, please send me a request through my contact page at jleemott.com. You can also go on there to check out all the other Dream Gardens podcasts. Or, if you want to know more about my own work as an author, you can go to my author website at jodyleemott.com. And finally, if you like what you hear today, please link, share, comment, write a review, or subscribe. Please let me know what you think. My guest today is Alice Faye Duncan. Alice is author of such books as Just Like a Mama, Memphis, Martin, and the Mountaintop, and the recent Evicted, The Struggle for the Right to Vote. She's also author of the picture book Opalee and What It Means to be Free, The True Story of the Grandmother of Juneteenth, which was released earlier this year. You can find more information about Alice at alicefayduncan.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Alice. Thank you for the invitation. Now, why don't we start with this book, Opalee and What It Means to be Free. Can you talk, and I did have a chance to read it, and it's a wonderful book. Can you talk, for those who haven't had a chance to read it, what is this book about? Okay, well, Opalee and What It Means to be Free, it's it's two things in one. It is the history of Juneteenth, but it is also the biography of Opalee, who is considered the grandmother of Juneteenth. And Opalee, who is considered the grandmother of Juneteenth, is also from Texas. And so you know that Juneteenth is June 19th, and it is the holiday where we celebrate the word of freedom or the word of the Emancipation Proclamation, finally and at last arriving to Texas two years after the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. So it, it it is considered to many to be uh, the last days of the American, the institution of American slavery. Then at the same time, it is a story about Opal Lee, who grew up, born in Marshall, Texas, but grew up in Fort Worth. And during her childhood, her home was actually terrorized by segregationists on June 19th, 1939, when she was 12 years old as her family were the first Black family to move in a white neighborhood. And so on Juneteenth, one of the most triumphant days in a child, Black child's life is also one of the days for Opal Lee became a most tragic day. And what Opal Lee does is from that point on, the embers of that day burn in her heart creating her and inspiring her to do things in the name of liberation, to do things in the in the name of freedom. And also, I mean, she didn't know it at the time because she was a kid, but as she grew and developed and became a teacher and then a retired teacher and then a, you know, a social servant to her community, she also became an ambassador for racial reconciliation. 
And when did it start for you, the idea of that you, you of creating this uh, picture book about both her story and about the Juneteenth? When did that idea first um, spark for you? Well, I, I was unaware of Grandmother Opal Lee until the summer of 2020. And then in the middle of the George Floyd tragedy, you know, it was her wise voice that lifted above the fires and fanned a spirit of peace. And like under the banner of Juneteenth at that time, she encouraged all Americans to unite. And so, you know, that summer during a pandemic, Opal Lee walked across America and during her march, you know, she asked American leaders to recognize Juneteenth as a national holiday. Opal Lee's plea for a national Juneteenth holiday, it was featured everywhere. It's featured on TV and newspapers and across the internet. And as her popularity grew, the publisher HarperCollins, they drafted a plan to like publish a children's book about Juneteenth and Opalee's March across America. And so there was a book that I had written. It's called Memphis Martin in the Mountaintop. And editors at HarperCollins, they were familiar with the book. They admired my use of language and they admired my use of lyricism. So when they came up with a plan to like compose a book about Opal Lee's biography, they invited me to write her story. And what was the research process uh, like? What did you need to do to find out both about, well, about her story and, and uh, how she, she came about in, in doing this on her own? Well, the first thing I did is I, I spoke with Opal Lee on the phone uh, during my writing process. And then I interviewed her granddaughter and her assistant, Dion Sims. And I also interviewed her best friend and Juneteenth scholar, Tanya Starks. I read a whole plethora of uh, Texas newspapers from the 1930s and 40s. And then those papers spirited me back in time to the Texas that was Opal Lee's childhood. Must have been very uh, unique. It's not often when you write a book about a person that you actually get to talk uh, to that person and uh, to 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 speak to them directly. To find, you know, to 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 get their point of view. It was it was very rare, and in fact, most of the books that I have written, I have written books about Dr. King. I've written books about Coretta Scott King. Uh, I've written books about uh, the voting rights movement in Tennessee. And so many of those heroes and historical figures passed away. And so what I have to do is to make it organic and to make the book alive, I try to, you know, find people who are living, who were connected with the dead. But in this case with Opal Lee, I was able to speak with her directly, speak with her children or her grandchildren directly, speak with her friends directly. And so this book is possibly in terms of biography, it is the most organic book and the most palpable biography that I have ever written to date. I forgot to write it down here. Who's the illustrator of this book? The illustrator of this book is Katura Bobo, who is a New York Times uh, bestseller illustrator. And I'm always curious to ask when people write picture books and they uh, and there's a separate illustrator. As I know, sometimes there's not a direct relationship and sometimes there's a little back and forth. And I'm wondering what was the case uh, in this case with you and the illustrator. Well, I, I, did, I did not know Katura. I've only met her now on Zoom during like a panel chat that we had. Um, but, you know, I believe that singers sing, writers write, painters paint, and 
you know, if you are a writer and not a painter, you have no business painting. And if you are a painter and not a writer, you have no business writing. And so I don't interfere with the art uh, process. Uh, what happens though is when the process is over, I have written and the painter has painted, then the editors usually share the work. And so if there is some type of editorial comment that needs to be addressed, like if the mother has three kids, but the illustrator painted six, you know, I, I address that, but I don't, I don't interfere I'm not going to quench the Holy Spirit. I let painters paint, you know? Is there part of the book you can share with us? Surely. Um, there is this running refrain that goes through the book that, in a nutshell, it it explains what Juneteenth is, okay? And so I often share the refrain when I read the book to young learners because I want them to take it with them. And I want them to remember the meaning of Juneteenth. And so the refrain goes, freedom, hope, and joy divine. Juneteenth means it's freedom time. And, and that is Juneteenth in a nutshell. Freedom, hope, and joy divine. Juneteenth means it's freedom time. Uh, Opal Lee would say Juneteenth means unity. Juneteenth is you and me. Now, I know another book that you wrote earlier this year, which I didn't get a chance to read, was Evicted, The Struggle for the Right to Vote. Can you talk a little bit of what that book was about? Yes, Evicted is about the voting rights struggle that happens in a place called Fayette County, uh, Tennessee in 1959. And I am from Memphis, Tennessee. I live in Shelby, Shelby County, which is 50 miles away from Fayette County. Fayette County and Memphis are fraternal twins. They look differently, but they share a similar spirit. Fayette County is agricultural, cotton plantations, lots of land. And in fact, Fayette County is the third largest in terms of region, in terms of land space. Fayette County is the third largest county in the state, but not in terms of people. Shelby County, where I live, is very urban. It's a, it's a concrete, concrete journal, a concrete jungle for lack of lack of a better word but the landscapes are different and so Fayette County just being 50 miles away from Memphis in 1959 while black people in Memphis were voting 50 miles away in Fayette County black people who were the majority they were 70 percent of the population they were not voting they would go to the polls and be turned away if they attempted to vote you know someone would terrorize their home and so in 1959, when the first Black lawyer goes to Fayette County to try a, to try a trial uh, of a Black man who was falsely accused of murder, the Black citizens of Fayette County, they want to participate on his jury. And the lawyer must inform them that you cannot participate on this jury. Why? Because you're not registered. And the reason they were not registered was because of terror. They were not registered because they knew if they registered to vote or tried to vote, that their homes would be burned, they would be terrorized. And so some farmers, some black farmers at that time decide that enough is enough. You know, we uh, these farmers had gone and fought in uh, World War II and there they were raising families on farms and they could not vote. And it was just, it crushed their souls, but crushed their souls to the point of action. 
And so they began for the first time in American history, they began what is the first known grassroots voting rights registration drive, bringing thousands of people on Wednesday, the only day that you could register in Fayette County, bringing thousands of people off of the plantations to the the county courthouse to register. So what happens is when these farmers leave the plantation, many of them sharecroppers, they don't own the land, they leave the white planters uh, land to go register and vote. When harvest time is over, those white planters evict the black sharecroppers because they dare to register to vote. Now that is voter suppression at the highest. But what happens is there are also black landowners there and black land owners then gave many of the black sharecroppers space. Uh, they gave them army tents to pitch and allowed them to stay in those tents until the uh, protest was over because, because what happened was the, the evictions then got people involved like Martin Luther King. The evictions got leaders in the community to start seeking donations to help these farmers uh, until, until the conflict was resolved. And so what people don't under, what children don't under, what students don't understand, what adults don't understand is that first grassroots movement that you see in 1959 in Fayette County is ultimately the foundation of everything you see uh, John Lewis doing in the Delta, John Lewis and SNCC uh, registering folks in Alabama. You find Fannie Lou Hamer through SNCC. SNCC finds Fannie Lou Hamer because they were inspired to go to the Delta because of those farmers in Tennessee. And then when they go to, and when SNCC goes to Alabama, what happens? You then find John Lewis and his peers on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And when they are attacked on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, that is the conflict that leads us to the signing of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. So without the farmers in Fayette County, you do not get John Lewis on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And without the Edmund Pettus Bridge, you do not get what? the 1965 Voting Rights Act. So evicted, the struggle for the right to vote is a exploration of the farmers' lives who gave us the Voting Rights Act of 1965. People that often we don't know about um, or, or, or whose names sometimes we don't aren't as familiar uh, to us. And I wonder, do you think uh, things like this, not only to give us the history of what happened, but um, also to give us a perspective on current times as well? Yes, yes. And so uh, if you want, I will gladly read a poem because because what I major in, or I try to major in, what I try to major in is making hard history understandable, accessible, understood through poems because poems are spare and lyrical and and you know oftentimes we can we can receive our hearts can better receive our hearts e h a r t s can better receive hard a h a r d histories uh when it's given in a poem so i will read for you the poem from Evicted, and it's called People in the Tents. A caravan of sharecroppers moved to the tents, bringing their possessions on the back of clunking trucks and mule-drawn wagons. They settled in Tent City with yelping stray dogs, 
wood burning stoves, pot belly wash kettles, oil lamps, patchwork quilts, and broken chest of drawers filled with knick-knack memories. The white tent merchant required anonymity for his safety, while families in the tents owned blacklisted names like Williams, Turner, Trotter, Junkins, Frazier, and Mason. Their hiding place was a cross of unmerited suffering. John McFerrin needed help to spread the dire news. Ernest Withers photographed the evicted families. John wanted eyes to witness the pain of black folks struggling to live and vote in Fayette County, USA. Click, 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 click. Mary, Early B, and their doe-eyed babies did not smile. Standing at their tent and scrubbed secondhand clothes, they were a weary people, poor, proud, and persevering. A Rolaflex camera captured their courage in black and white. And so it's, it's talking about the courage of those farmers, but also it's showing children that their struggle was absolutely documented in photographs and in the news uh, and particularly in the black press. So it was their pictures, these photographs from Ernest Withers were printed in the Tri-State Defender, the Chicago Defender, the Pittsburgh Courier, uh, Ebony Magazine, Jet Magazine, like wherever there was black a black press, those pictures were photographed so that black people would know there are folks struggling and being evicted in Fayette County and we need donations and need, we need help and we need prayers. And so what happened was White college students from Cornell and the University of Chicago, ultimately, they go to Tent City and they help recruit with the Black farmers who are leading the, the protest or the, the uh, grassroots voting rights drive. They help recruit uh, new voters as well. And I think the value of this is history is more than just dates and names and things that happen, but these are real people and their real lives that they lived and, and what happened to them, the struggles they had. You know, my father used to say no cross, no crown, which is to say that no sacrifice, no reward. And so I think what children don't understand is that freedom is an ongoing struggle you win it and you earn it and win it in every generation. So Coretta Scott King said, and so, you know, children have a freedom struggle to encounter while they are yet asleep right now, their voting rights are being gutted while they are yet asleep right now, labor rights are being dismantled. Public schools are being dismantled. And I want my books to explain to them unequivocally that if there is to be freedom and liberation, if democracy is to survive, you know, the struggle and the, the sacrifice now, it, you know, it belonged to John McFerrin, it belonged to Martin Luther King, it belonged to Rosa Parks, you know, it belonged to unnamed sanitation workers from 1968. But now if liberation is to continue, if democracy is continued, the sacrifice sit squarely on the shoulders of children who will be tomorrow's voters, who will be tomorrow's parents, you know, who will be tomorrow's leaders. History doesn't just stop. No, it's, it's an ongoing process. 
I was I was curious too, um, um, reading your own books and and, and looking at your uh, the titles and what we're talking about. I know you've been working as a school librarian for many years. And I'm just wondering how has your work as a school librarian informed your work as a children's book author, both in sort of the projects you choose and how you go about writing them. Well, well, two things affect me deeply: being an educator, a school librarian, and also being raised here in Memphis, Tennessee, which is often considered the front door of the Mississippi Delta. And so I'm always thinking about the, as a school teacher, I'm always looking at the curriculum and seeing where the gaps in the curriculum are. For example, uh, I wrote a book called Memphis Martin and Mountaintop, which is the first book, the first picture book for children to address the assassination of Dr. King. Um, and so there was a gap in the curriculum. I lived right here in Memphis. And whenever I would visit children or ask them, like, can you tell me why Dr. King was in Memphis? You know, they could only tell me where he died. Dr. King was killed at Lorraine Motel, but they could not tell me why he was in Memphis. They could not tell me or hypothesize perhaps why he was killed. And so I wanted to fill in the gaps. Same thing with evicted, you know, evicted Tent City and the Fed County movement is a part of the Tennessee history uh, social studies curriculum. Uh, it's required that fifth graders and 11th graders study that movement, but there was no book about it. And so I knew Ernest Withers, the photographer who photographed the farmers. And I just, I wanted to share that story in book form so that when teachers are trying to teach, they had something really solid and hefty to for their instruction and something that would be inspiring and moving for children something that they could see visually and feel emotionally now uh, are there other books that you're working on as well that we can look forward to in the future oh yes absolutely so many so many september september 2022 when school starts I have a new book and it is called Yellow Dog Blues. It is a blues fable about love and loss set in the Mississippi Delta. The illustrator is Chris Roscoe, who was a two-time Caldecott winner. And, you know, as I said, the release date is going to be September 2022. I also, you know, I believe there is a significant story that has not been shared. So, you know, children know a great deal about Dr. Martin Luther King. However, they do not adequately understand that Coretta Scott, Martin's wife, was a source of courage during the turbulent times that he wanted to quit the civil rights movement. And so children don't know Coretta Scott King. You know, they know her as a pretty face. They know her as, you know, the the woman on the cover of Time magazine who was weeping, but they don't know her as a spirit, you know. And so she was born in Heidelberger, Alabama on Timberland. Uh, she Before she even met Martin, she was a pacifist. She was a prophet. She was an activist. And it is my opinion that her contributions to American history need further exploration. So kids and their teachers can look for my new book, about her life in 2023. And the title of that book is Coretta's Journey, The Life and Times of Coretta Scott King. In 2023, you said, right? Yeah, I said 20. That's it. Yeah, 2023. Yes. All the right. spring De- of 2023. Definitely things to look forward to. So, but, uh, you know, like I said, other readers who haven't uh, checked out those other books uh, that we've mentioned, you know, they're, they are available now. Um, now, 
the one book um, you talked about that uh, is your own personal favorite uh, children's book uh, that you read is uh, Honey, I Love and Other Love Poems. And this was written by Eloise Greenfield. It was illustrated by Diane and Leo Dillon, and this was published in 1978. For readers who might be unfamiliar with this, can you talk a little bit of, it's, it's not a storybook, but what, what, what basically is this book? Well, it, the book is a collection of poems by Eloise Greenfield, who uh, lived in Washington, D.C., and she came to writing children's books like in 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 her middle age. I think she was she perhaps was over 40 years old when she started writing or her late 30s, perhaps uh, when she started writing. And she recently passed away, but she is considered one of the trailblazers, one of the African-American trailblazers in children's publishing. Uh, so, you know, all my life as a child, I I read Eloise Greenfield's picture books and I had the good fortune of meeting her. I think it was in uh, the summer of 20, that was the summer of 2018. Yeah, I had the good fortune of meeting her in the summer of 2018. And so this book, honey, I love, there's one poem in it, it's called Harriet Tubman. And that's a poem that you, if 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 you've been to any self-respecting elementary school, more than likely you have heard this poem read by children doing Black History Month. And it's called Harriet Tubman. Now it's called Harriet Tubman. I think that's the official title, but most kids, uh, when you ask them about it, they'll, they call the poem, Harriet Tubman didn't take no stuff because, you know, it's a refrain during the poem. Uh, would you like me to read it? Oh, absolutely. I love this poem. Uh, Harriet Tubman, Harriet Tubman didn't take no stuff. Wasn't scared of nothing either. Didn't come in this world to be no slave and wasn't going to stay one either. Farewell, she sang to her friends one night. She was mighty sad to leave them, but she ran away that dark, hot night, ran looking for her freedom. She ran to the woods and ran through the woods with the slave catchers right behind her, and she kept on running till she got up north where those mean men couldn't find her. Nineteen times she went back south to get 300 others. She ran for her freedom. How many times? 19 times to save black sisters and brothers. Harriet Tubman didn't take no stuff, wasn't scared of nothing either, didn't come in this world to be no slave and didn't stay one either and didn't stay one either. Harriet Tubman. And then so so that that's one that I like to share, like when I do story times and visit schools, because I make it interactive and I make it like a church service. And they we call I call and the kids respond. But then there's this other poem that Eloise Greenfield wrote, and it's talking about the efficacy of writing uh, and the efficacy of of poetry, uh, how it is a gift that doesn't fade and it is a gift that doesn't fail. And so the name of this is, uh, the name of this poem is called Things. And it says, went to the corner, walked in the store, bought me some candy, ain't got it no more, ain't got it no more. Went to the beach, played on the shore, built me a sand house, ain't got it no more, ain't got it no more. Went to the kitchen, sat on the floor, wrote me a poem, still got it, still 
Got it. It's such a wonderful uh, uh, poem. It says, says so much about the, it, it's, it, it's amazing. It's just a, a short little poem, but it says so much about w why things like writing poetry and art in general are so important or can be so important to us. I'm curious too that, the, like I said, um, the title of this is Honey Love and Other Love Poems. So these are all, she calls these all love poems. And um, so what is it about like these two poems? Um, what does she mean by being love poems, I guess, or what, what's, what sense is she using? Well, well, like other, other poems in the, um, other poems in the book, will talk about relationships with family, um, you know, um, and, but in these particular poems, like things, things is about a child's love and affinity with words and writing. Right. And as an only child who grew up spending a lot of time alone, writing and reading, this poem is my biography as far as I'm concerned. And then Harriet Tubman, it's a love poem, like it's a two-way love poem, right? Because Harriet Tubman loved her people. And so it's an illumination on that love that she had for her people. But also it's, it's Eloise Greenfield's tribute, love, celebration of Harriet Tubman, right? And so I guess you could call it a two-way love poem. I'm wondering, what is it about Eloise Greenfield as a poet for you in particular that's inspired you both as a reader and as a, as a writer yourself? For me, it's like you said earlier, for me, it's the, sim the simplicity of the words, but just because the words are simple, the meaning is very deep and wide, right? And so I think it's also the reason why I gravitated toward poetry as a child, because when I, I was very eager, I, like I said, I'm an only child, and I was very eager to learn how to read in first grade because my mother would fall asleep on me at nighttime when she was reading, you know, my story for the night. And so I was, I wanted very much to be liberated, you know, by words and learn to read for myself. So when I got to be in first grade and Miss Johnson, bless her heart, I love her, Miss Johnson, my first grade teacher, taught me how to read then at my house my mom and dad were school teachers and our house our, literally our house had a bookshelf in every room except the, except the bathroom and and so when i gravitated toward the bookshelves in those rooms i always ended up as a young child picking the poetry books why because poems were short the words were simple I could easily understand what I was reading, right? So there was quick gratification. You know, I didn't have to struggle and stumble through those Langston, to the, through my mother's collection of uh, Langston Hughes. I didn't have to stumble and struggle through my mother's collection of, of, of Maya Angelou. You know, I didn't have to stumble and, and, and struggle through uh, the Nikki Giovanni Black Power poems. Those were words I understood, right? Uh, I maybe didn't have a grasp of the complete layered meanings and the metaphors, but the words I gathered, I mean, particularly, it wasn't that deep. Langston Hughes, Alberta K. Johnson, Madam to You, I understood it completely. T it tickled me to no end. And so, yeah, I I've loved poetry all my life. I think one of the hardest things that a lot of people don't appreciate is to write things, to keep things simple in your writing, but still get the meaning through anyway. And that's a really hard thing to do, right? 
Um, so when you see somebody be able to do it, it looks very simple, but it's the hardest thing in the world to actually get right. Yeah, but you know, but like the more poetry you read, it's something I think that's at some point it becomes intuitive to you. The more poetry that you read and then the more time you take practicing, trying your, you know, trying your metal at it. Right. And so I'm a much better writer now at 50 some going on 60 than I was at 12. Right. Because of all of that, that reading and all of that practicing and writing terribly. Now, this book is uh, sort of directed towards children, but do you think uh, there might be a value in sharing these po- poems with like older children or teens or even adults? Absolutely. What's really special about uh, the Eloise Greenfield book is that it's a pocket-sized book. It's very compact, right? It's very compact and easy to read, but the poems are visual and they're visceral and they're moving and they're magic. Yeah. And, and, you know, poems, uh, Gwendolyn Brooks say, Gwendolyn Brooks said that poetry is life distilled and, and these poems are that, you know, I don't think poems of any kind have an age limit. Alice, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me both about um, your own books, Opaly, and what it means to be free and uh, evicted the struggle for the right to vote, and for giving us a heads up of some books to look forward to the future, and for talking to me about uh, Honey, I Love. Thank you so much, Jody, for the invitation. And do invite me back in September when uh, we will have uh, Yellow Dog Blues to talk about. Oh, that sounds marvelous. That sounds marvelous. Well, thanks again. All righty. Have a great day. You can find more information about Alice Faye Duncan at alicefayduncan.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music titled All Together is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can find the Dream Gardens podcast website at jleemott.com and my author website at jodyleemott.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at dreamgardensjlm. The Dream Gardens podcast is available through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. Keep reading.